Before we get going with this week's episode, a word from our friends at Adelphi Racing Club. Adelphi is a racing club of like-minded people who enjoy horse racing and the camaraderie of being a part of something bigger than themselves. It is a true community. Adelphi's founding partners have all owned horses in other partnerships and syndicates as well as on their own, and the overarching goal with Adelphi is to blend the benefits of solo ownership without the administrative hassle with the thrill of the partnership experience. Adelphi offers an interactive ownership experience with real-time access to other partners, trainers, bloodstock advisors, and other members of the team. Adelphi partners receive frequent multimedia content on their horses, including videos, photos, and partner-only podcast content provided by the In The Money Media team, as well as premium on-track and off-track hospitality experiences. Adelphi has an exciting class of yearling prospects, which are available now, including just a couple of these to, to consider, uh, Salivo horse named after the popular Saratoga restaurant. The street sense filly who is bred to be fast and early and has some major European influence in her pedigree. She'll be headed to Ray Handel's barn in the spring and a colt that is still TBD as far as his name is concerned. Uh, he's by Tappert, who looks in his bred to be a two-turn horse. His dad won the Belmont Stakes and his dam is a speedy stakes performer out of a leading broodmare sire distorted humor. The second dam was also a stakes winner out of Arch, further building upon the two-turn credentials. This colt is going to be headed to Christoph Clement's barn in the spring. Join the club. Many ways to find this. More information about Adelphi Racing Club. Let's start off with the website, adelphiracing.com. If you want more information, you can email matt at adelphiracing.com. And on social media, Instagram, start off with at Adelphi underscore racing. And on Twitter, at Adelphi Club. That is Adelphi Racing Club. Be sure to check them out. Now, on to this week's episode of the pod. What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter. At Bernier underscore Matt, today is Monday, November the 15th, 2021. This is episode 91 of the podcast. However you listen, thank you for doing so. So many ways to find this thing, as many of you already know. But if you listen just to the audio, you've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're someone who likes to watch along over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernie, your show, get this episode along with the 90 prior. Now, this week's show... I was going through, you know, last week was the bit of the Breeders' Cup hangover, and now we're in a, a bit of a, not a lull, but a quieter time until, let's say, the Cigar Mile, or as we get closer to opening day at Gulfstream. I know Delmar's going on. Bob Hope was run over the weekend. You've got some good racing still going on. Don't get me wrong. But I think for many of us, it's an opportunity to take a deep breath and just say, all right, well, now we can... Take a, a week or maybe two or some folks, maybe you just wait right till Gulfstream. Kind of hit the hit the reset button and get yourself, get your mind fresh, get your body fresh, ready to go. So I'm thinking, what, what the hell am I going to talk about here? And it just got me thinking a little bit, not that we want to continue on sort of the same path that we have for the past few weeks and months, really, leading into the Breeders' Cup, but it did make me think. Last week I was, uh, spoke about Nick's go. And how I thought maybe he was one of the more underappreciated or underrated horses over the past five or ten years. And it got me thinking a little bit of, you know, I had gone through when we were talking about the track profile at Del Mar and how certain horses won certain races. Didn't do it for all the races, but one that we did touch on was the Breeders' Cup Classic. And how horses who won the Classic 
went about doing it. So then I started kind of putting that together with Nick's Go, thinking about the past 10, maybe 11 Breeders' Cup Classics, thinking, well, where does he stack up compared to those runners and how they went about doing their business? Now, this isn't going to be everybody's cup of tea, but I wanted to have some fun, and I found this fun. Hopefully, some of you will, and some of you are going to roll your eyes and say this is the stupidest waste of time ever, but guess what? If you don't like it, don't listen to it. But I went through and put together what I think would be, let's call it a simulation without it being too scientific, a little bit more feel, but using some some data to back up the stances. Bit of a simulation. If the past 11 Breeders' Cup Classic winners ran against one another, and I'll rattle them off to you. Nixco, Authentic, Vino Rosso, Accelerate, Gunrunner, Arrowgate, American Pharaoh, Bayern, Mucho Macho Man, Fort Larned, and Drosselmeyer. If the past 11 Breeders' Cup Classic winners lined up at a mile and a quarter, let's say Churchill Downs, how would the race play out? Who would go? Who would sit? Who's fast enough to win? Who's not fast enough to win? And ultimately, take a wild stab at who would win the race. Because you've got the who's who of the past handful of years. So with a combination of running styles, buyer speed figures that were earned, Timeform US pace ratings, pace numbers that were earned, Keep in mind, these are only Breeders' Cup Classic winning performances. So some of these horses ran in multiple Breeders' Cup Classics. I'm only using the races in which they won as the sort of barometer. And also factoring in their running styles. Are any of them dependent on going? Are any of them totally void of early speed? That sort of thing. And I decided to go through and make my best guess, my best assessment of how a race with these horses would unfold. So I'm going to show you some replays. I'm going to show you a couple little spreadsheets I put together with maybe where they're positioned all around the track. And again, it's a little bit of a quieter time in the year. We got a moment to sit back and have some fun. Breeders' Cup is still fresh in our memory. The classic winner, the soon-to-be horse of the year, Nick's Go, is still fresh in our memory. Why not, uh, why not BS a little bit and see what we can come up with with this? So that's what this first opening part of the show will be about, and we'll wrap things up with some 538 NFL forecasts for Week 11. But let's start with what I, I've had a good time doing it. I hope those of you watching and listening will have a good time as well. And those of you that aren't on YouTube, maybe you want to head on over there. Going to have some replays, different portions of different races, and uh, a couple of other visual aids. So let's just call it the Fantasy Breeders' Cup Classic, the past 11 winners. If they all lined up at Churchill Downs going a mile and a quarter, how would it play out and who would win? I don't know. Here's a guess, though. So what you're looking at right here are the 11 most recent winners of the Breeders' Cup Classic in the order of most recent year. So let's say uh, reverse chronological order with 2021 with Nick's go all the way down to 2011 with Drosselmeyer. This column, column B, is a morning line that I whipped up that I threw together for the 11 runners. Your favorite or the favorite that I made was the 2015 winner, American Pharaoh at odds of two to one, the co-second choices gun runner in 2017, Arrowgate in 2016 at odds of three to one. And then you have a massive jump to authentic at 10 to one Nick's go at 12 to one 
Mucho Macho Man in Fort Larned at 15 to 1, Vino Rosso at 20 to 1, and then Accelerate, Bayern, and Drosselmeyer at 30 to 1. That adds up to roughly 123 points, keeping in mind that we're not making a fair odds line. We are making a morning line, and you factor in the takeout with those sort of things. This column is the horse themselves, the names. Then you have time form U.S. pace ratings for each of these horses in their classic victories, half, three quarters, one mile, mile and a quarter. And then you have the buyer speed figure earned in each of these victories. So this is the template. This is sort of the, it's not the end all be all. It's not how I, I didn't go, you know, bit by bit saying this horse earned this, they were ahead of this other horse. Yeah. You know, I got a little bit more sort of subjective using this as the, the framework for it, but some horses knowing that they're better off when they're on the lead. Others have shown versatility, things like that. So from there, it was, all right, they break from the gates. And you can see here, this is, if I can finagle this, this is going to be the start of three different races. One, two, and three. They're all going to break from the gates. These are the Breeders' Cup Classics, all of these from NBC Sports. You can see this race up here, top left corner. You've got Authentic going to the front. Down here, you've got Byron, which has cleaned out half the field. He's making his way to the front. And over here on the right-hand side, you've got Nick's go as they're coming down the straightaway, entering the clubhouse turn for the first of two turns, going a mile and a quarter. Now, they're all moving relatively comfortably, but keep in mind, as we pause them all, these are all horses that like to realistically be on the lead dictating things. Byron was more or less a need-the-lead type. Nick's go was more or less a need-the-lead type, and Authentic was as well. So that makes me think, all right, let's try to design this race a little bit. Where are certain horses going to be positioned? And that's what brings us to this screen. The opening quarter mile. You can see it down at the bottom. And I know it's not uh, the largest piece, but you'll understand why more momentarily. I have Nick's go, Authentic, and Byron out there on the lead. Just in behind them, the likes of Gunrunner, American Pharaoh, Arrogate, and Fort Larned. Slightly farther behind them, you've got Accelerate and Mucho Macho Man, Vino Rosso second last, Drosselmeyer well out the back of the pack. I think that's pretty reasonable as to how you could anticipate an opening quarter mile of a mile and a quarter Breeders' Cup Classic going with these horses involved. Now, you could certainly argue that Gunrunner and American Pharaoh at the very least, if not adding in Fort Larned, are as fast, if not faster, than the three horses that are out there on the lead in Nixco, Authentic, and Byron. But Gunrunner and American Pharaoh both showed a willingness or an ability to sit off of a target and pounce. Therefore, I don't know that it would have done them any good, despite the fact that Gunrunner's pace figs early on in his Breeders' Cup Classic win in 2017 were much faster than anything that these top three had ever run, or at least ran in their Breeders' Cup Classic, I think they would have been content, Florent Giroux, Steve Aspison, to sit off of these targets and say, look, we just think we're a better horse. Same with American Pharaoh, with Victor Espinoza and Bob Baffert. As good as Authentic is, and as good as Byron is, and, and Nexco as well, I think you know the gun runners and American Pharaohs of the world, I don't think they were terribly concerned, but who knows? Arrowgate, He's positioned there in all reality. He could have probably been in either this flight or just slightly behind in this area back here with Mucho Macho Man and Accelerate. But he did have a, a decent enough early gear. Maybe he wasn't quite as fast as these two naturally, 
or even a Fort Larned who gets a little lost in the shuffle because it feels like it was a million years ago. But I think that was the thing about Arrowgate, the ability to, you know what, he may have to get worked on a little bit more to be up there with them, but he could do that if, if absolutely dependent on it. And Fort Larned was one of those horses that I think time has just, time and the horses that followed him have done him a disservice because he was an extremely talented racehorse. You can say the same thing about Mucho Macho Man. I think Fort Larned personally was better than Mucho Macho Man at their best. But again, when you all of a sudden following them, you've got American Pharaoh and Arrowgate and Gunrunner and Authentic and Nick's Go. It's, it's easy to all of a sudden forget about how talented and how good those racehorses were. Now we've gone through the opening quarter mile. We pick up the pace figs. These are the horses and what they earned through the opening half of their Breeders' Cup Classic wins. And you'll note that Gunrunner and American Pharaoh are one in three as far as the pace figs are concerned. Accelerate, oddly enough, at a very, very fast opening half in the race that he won. Now, why do I personally not believe they would be positioned this way? Because if they're all running to win the race, Byron had to go, Nick's Go's got to go, and Authentic's got to go. So I'm assuming they're going much quicker then these pace ratings that they achieved in their Breeders' Cup Classic victories would end up being. I think they had to go faster if they were going to try to win a race like this or would try to win a race like this. That leaves Gunrunner and American Pharaoh sitting in, let's say, kind of the catbird seat where they're both horses that are fast enough to go to the front, but they're also versatile enough to sit off of a target and be effective. And you can see here the way that I've sort of laid things out. Nick's going authentic. From the post positions, and by the way, the way that I went through and assigned posts was just purely based on the year that they ran. So Nick's go was the most recent one. He broke from post one, authentic in 2020, post two, and so on. So you see those two out there. I think Byron, unfortunately, gets a little bit uh, compromised because he's breaking from post eight. He's going to be carrying some ground. And now Gunrunner and American Pharaoh breaking from posts five and seven. They're in a position to start taking advantage. This is Pharaoh's 2015 Breeders' Cup Classic from the Breeders' Cup's YouTube channel. And here is the 2017 classic from the NBC sports channel with Gunrunner. And again, they're on the lead, both of them, as they're going through this second quarter mile in this mile and a quarter affair. But they had both shown throughout their campaigns that they were more than capable of rating and still being just as effective as when they were out there cutting out the fractions. So now they're going to spin onto the backside in behind those couple runners that we already talked about. The horses who I think are predominantly absolutely need the lead types and that puts these two horses at a great advantage when they go through their opening half mile which again based on my estimation would look something like this nick's going authentic are still out there byron because of the ground loss now is probably in a position where maybe he's a half length behind to three quarters of a length behind the top two but gunrunner and pharaoh are both now right on the heels of nick's go and authentic that puts Byron in a really bad position, especially since, again, I, I think he was a need-the-lead type, and he didn't get the lead here, so you can kind of see where I think this thing is going for him. Arrowgate and Fort Larned now are tucked in just behind. I think this is one of those instances where going down the front side, if you're Fort Larned and Brian Hernandez Jr., rather than being hung in the 5-6 path going around the first turn, let's take back a little bit. Let's pull him back in behind. Maybe we can follow the, these two big runners and Gunrunner and American Pharaoh. We've boxed in Arrowgate a bit. We've got the jump on Mucho Macho Man and Accelerate in Fort Larned, uh, excuse me, and Vino Rosso and Drosselmeyer. 
still in a pretty good position, especially if you think the pace could end up coming back a little bit. And we know that the distance is going to be the thing that gets a horse like Fort Larned defeated. That's my guess through the opening half of where a race like this would be playing out, where these horses would be positioned through the opening half. Once we go through the opening three quarters, things start to pick up a little bit. Opening half mile is out of the way. You've got Gunrunner starting to lurk, starting to make his move a bit. Nick's go is still the one that's cutting out the fractions, though. Keep an eye on Fort Larned, though. This, to me, is one of the, the big moves in recent memory. Over the past 10 years in a Breeders' Cup Classic, you're going to see bottom left is Nick's go. Far right is Gunrunner. Upper left is going to be Fort Larned. And they all are running along now. Fort Larned starts to separate from the rest of his field that he ran against. It's a brilliant move. Brian Hernandez Jr. wins the race here. They're going to try to replicate that move against Gunrunner and against Nick's go. And you see Nick's go does something relatively similar. He starts to put lengths on the rest of the field. That's really when you're starting to see some separation against the fields that they ran against. It's one thing to do that against, I don't want to call them also rants because every horse running in a Breeders' Cup Classic deserves to be there. It's another thing to do it against the winners of all of these races. So Fort Larned is starting to make up some ground. Nick's goes trying to get away and put lengths on the field as he did in this year's Breeders' Cups, in this year's Breeders' Cup just a couple weeks ago. The problem is he's trying to do that against Gunrunner, against Fort Larned, and against American Pharaoh and some of these other runners. So through three quarters, I think Nick's goes still out there. I think Gunrunner has tipped out and he's put himself in prime position. He's breathing down, almost eyeballing Nick's go. American Pharaoh is just in behind, probably in that two-three path between the two. Fort Larned started to make that move more from mid-pack. Now he's kind of drafting in behind Gunrunner. Yeah, he's going to carry a little bit of ground, but in the grand scheme of things, if you can have Gunrunner tow you into the run, why not do so? I think this is when you start to see Bayern and Authentic crack. And truth be told, Bayern in all reality would be the one that would be out here. Authentic maybe is out in this direction. But point being, they're both starting to back up. I think the, the pressure early on from Nick's go, and now with the other pieces being turned up from Gunrunner, being turned up from American Pharaoh and Fort Larned, I think they take their toll on Authentic and Bayern. They start to drop anchor. Meanwhile, Arrogate is still just biding his time. He is not losing touch with the front runners, but we know Arrogate's best trait was his bottom. The fact that he could run 15 miles and it felt like he got stronger as the run got longer. Don't count out Vino Rosso and Accelerate, though, and even Mucho Macho Man, for that matter. Mucho Macho Man and Fort Larned, I'm sure you could look at it and say there really isn't a great deal separating the two. To me, there was more tactical speed with Fort Larned, more quality early speed. Mucho Macho Man was able to procure those sort of positions when the paces were a little bit on the more moderate side, not from a fractional standpoint, but from a pace rating kind of perspective. So these three right here, just because they're going to be a handful of lengths off the front runners, I don't think that means that they're out of it by any stretch. The only horse who really hasn't gotten a shout yet is Drosselmeyer, and for good reason. He is just not nearly fast enough to keep up with these horses throughout the early portions of the run. That's why he was a bomb when he won the race, and guess what? He defeated a less than stellar field when he won. So no surprise that through the opening three quarters of the race, he is dead last, and he'll probably be dead last for a little while still to come. Now the real running begins. We've gotten through three quarters of a mile. Nick's go has been confronted by Gunrunner. And my feeling hasn't changed. I didn't learn anything from Nick's go winning the Breeders' Cup Classic just a couple weeks ago. We know when he's allowed to just get out there and wing it on the front, he's wickedly, wickedly fast. But if he gets looked in the eye, I still don't think he's going to go on with it. When Gunrunner comes up and looks you in the eye, I think it's over. I think Nick's go drops anchor. 
But now the problem for Gunrunner is he's got American Pharaoh breathing down his neck. And then the big boy, Arrowgate, is starting to get the engine warmed up. So here they go. They're running around the far turn. Arrowgate's starting to get pumped on. He's got a long way to go to catch up to the likes of Gunrunner and American Pharaoh. And we know that at their best, they might not stop. They may just run away and hide from everyone. This is going to bring us to the top of the lane at this point. Pharaoh's trying to kick on and run down Gunrunner. Here comes Arrowgate. Gunrunner is on the lead, though, as the field turns for home. And I think that's going to be the part that is most important to factor in when you take a look at this. Top of the lane, Gunrunner on the front. American Pharaoh is running after him. Fort Larned is trying to keep up with American Pharaoh. And Arrowgate, while he's still a few lengths back, we know that his best foot is going forward now. We know that that stretch run... Every inch of that is going to work to his advantage. Is that going to be the same case for everyone? Yes, they all wanted a mile and a quarter, but which one of them truly wanted it more? And does he have enough time? That's equally as important because, yes, maybe these other horses are going to start to slow down a little bit, but is it going to be enough for him to make up that ground, not only make it up, but pass them? You see Nick's go. I have him starting to back up pretty badly at this point because, again, I think when confronted, I think that's what would happen, especially against runners of this caliber. No disrespect, I think he's a really good horse, but I think this is really when this is when the rubber meets the road. This is when the horses really start to run, the cream of the crop. Vino Rosso's starting to get involved. Accelerate, he was in a difficult position because if you really went up there and, and ran with the, the speeds, which again, from a, from a pace rating standpoint, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could have done so. As you can see with the way that he had run in his classic, 139, 137, 134, that puts him among the leaders the problem is you see how much he slowed down against a much weaker field in that 2018 classic against a field like this. I think if they had run or he would have been run like this, I think he would have ended up with Nick's go starting to back up in a bad way. So I think tactically decision, you take him back a little bit as opposed to trying to run early on with everyone else. The question becomes again, gun runner is now on the lead. Can American Pharaoh run him down? And if it's not American Pharaoh, can a horse like Arrowgate go and run them down? Look at the way that these horses finish from the top of the lane to the finish in their classic victories. Gunrunner from a 146 to a 138. Pharaoh picked it up a little bit from 134 to 136. The big one, you see Arrowgate going from 131 to 141. He actually got faster, and that was him in a nutshell. Faster and stronger as the races got longer. The stretch run of the Fantasy Breeders' Cup Classic. Top of the stretch, Gunrunner's on the lead. You've got American Pharaoh breathing down his neck. You've got Arrowgate warming up. They're all going to go for home at the same time. The problem is, no disrespect to California Crumb. No disrespect to American Pharaoh. No disrespect to Arrowgate. When a horse like Gunrunner has the lead, at his best, he's going to be really hard to run down. And I think in all likelihood, you'd be looking at a scenario in which, and we'll let Pharaoh run through the wire, I feel like Pharaoh's going to go after Gunrunner. He's not going to be able to get by. Arrowgate's going to come with this exact same run that he does against California Chrome. The difference is, and as good as Chrome was, don't get me wrong, this is not meant to be a slight against California Chrome, but Gunrunner was just a better horse flat out. So this piece right here, I feel like Chrome effectively plays the role of Pharaoh or Pharaoh plays Chrome's role. I know he wasn't actually the one that got run down, but I think he finishes probably a half length behind Arrowgate, who then finishes probably about a half length behind Gunrunner because Gunrunner, with that advantage from a tactical standpoint, is able to hold on 
and get the job done. I think Gunrunner would win this race. I think Arrowgate would finish second, American Pharaoh third, the three of them separated by probably a length and a quarter, all told. Fort Larned, maybe a length or two behind the top three. I think he runs a really good race. Vino Rosso takes advantage of the way that everything plays out, where some of these other speeds, they try to win the race. Not that Vino Rosso doesn't, but I don't think, even with the pace figs that he had earned in his classic, I think there's just a world difference as far as the talent level is concerned, running forward against inferior types as opposed to running forward against these kind of horses. I think he does well to finish fifth. Mucho Macho Man comes along. He and Vino Rosso run very similar races. I think Vino Rosso on his best day may have been slightly better, but that's debatable. Accelerate does what he does. He's just not quite good enough to run with these types. And then you really see what the pay situation looked like. Nick's go falters, authentic falters, Byron falters, and Drosselmeyer, even with probably an advantageous running style in a race like this, he's just not fast enough. We, we kind of knew that going into it, that his best was not nearly good enough to run with these. So to me, this would be the final order of finish. In my opinion, Gunrunner would win this race. And I know I've said it a million times before, that Arrowgate's best, I still think is the best I've ever seen. And I stand by that. I'm talking about these were their Breeders' Cup Classic winning performances, and we're basing it off of this. If you want to add in another race, Arrowgate's Dubai World Cup is the best race I've ever seen, but, but that's not what this exercise is all about, or this little fun talking point. Purely based on their winning efforts in their Breeders' Cup Classics. I think Gunrunner wins. I think Arrowgate finishes second. American Pharaoh rounds out your top three. If you're playing a Superfecta, Fort Larned gets a piece of this thing. And if you're playing a Super High Five, Vino Rosso finishing fifth. Let me know your thoughts. Again, maybe this is something that everybody looks at and goes, what a waste of 20 minutes of my time or 25 minutes of my time. I thought it would be fun. And to bring it back to the initial point, to kind of contextualize where Nick's go ranks in, in the midst of these runners, I don't think the eighth place finish, in my opinion, means that he's necessarily the eighth best of these winners. I think the dynamics of a, a theoretical race with these horses would lead him to finish back here, but I, I think he's probably middle of the pack. And to bring it back to the figs, from the final number, and granted, this is not the pace-adjusted number. This is the final number that these horses earned in their Breeders' Cup Classic runs. You can see that Nick's go is sixth with his 133s, tied for fifth with Vino Rosso behind Fort Larned, behind American Pharaoh, Gunrunner, and Arrowgate. From a buyer standpoint, the fastest ones were Arrowgate and American Pharaoh, followed by Gunrunner and, and Fort Larned. And just in behind Byron, who was fifth, was Nick's go. Now, I will also, I, I would, I think I've said it before, but I, I firmly believe this. I don't, I don't believe the 120 that American Pharaoh earned. I, I think that was more of a trying to think of the right way of putting it without sounding you know controversial i think it was a respect thing that the triple crown winner had to earn a 120 put him in that rarefied air um i think when you look and see the way that that race came back the horses that ran in that year's classic that then returned none of they all regressed almost across the board and truth be told i mean depending on how you want to look at it if we use that sort of 20 point number as a differential between the two you know, many of these do line up, and this one comes up a little bit light, the difference between the Timeform US number and a buyer speed figure. 
Uh, I think this, I think Pharaoh's classic was probably closer to a 115 or a 116. That's neither here nor there. The point being talking about Nick's go, I think he's probably right in the middle of these past 10, as far as classic winners are concerned. I think he was better than Bayern. I think he was better than Mucho Macho Man. I think he was better than Accelerate. I think he was better than Drosselmeyer. He's probably comparable, in my opinion, to Authentic. I think they're probably the, the two more, I, I, I think they're the two most comparable as far as running style is concerned and ta overall talent level is concerned. I think he's probably behind these four. Arrowgate, American Pharaoh, Gunrunner, and Fort Larned, not in that order. Just my opinion. Let me know what your thoughts are about all of these horses, about this silly theoretical Fantasy Breeders' Cup classic that I wanted to throw together, A, to entertain, my, to entertain myself, and then also hopefully entertain some of you out there watching and listening. Let me know what your thoughts are about all these beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. I figured just a bit of a fun exercise, and again, maybe it was a waste of time, but let me know what your thoughts are about that little Fantasy Breeders' Cup classic that we threw together there just now. Let's wrap up this week's show relatively quickly with NFL Week 11 forecasts over on 538. I tell you what, these past two weeks have been a bloodbath for me, and I think it's a good example of what happens, you know, tying it into horse racing from a betting standpoint, tying it into sports betting. If, you, if you're really aggressive with your numbers, and I think of, of horse racing, when, when people assign probabilities and they say this horse wins the race X amount of times, if you go overboard, you would better be right. Otherwise, the ramifications are significant. And that's what's happened to me, unfortunately, these past two weeks with the NFL forecast. When I go through and run the numbers in my model, look, I go with the model. I'm not trying to get cute and sit here and go eye test this, that, and the other. What it tells me, I believe it because the overall track record has been accurate. You just get those random pieces. And I think that's, I, I hope if nothing else, what I've tried to instill for many, many weeks and months now is that random stuff happens. No matter how strong your convictions are, it doesn't mean you're going to be right. And I remember not to just, you know, cherry pick things, but I remember one person sending me a tweet before the classic saying, I have never been as sure of anything in my life that Hot Rod Charlie was going to win. And where did he finish? Fourth? Now, in, in, a, in a vacuum, you were incorrect. But if they run the race 100 times, maybe he does win a handful of them, 20 of them, 15 of them, however many. Same goes for these forecasts and predictions. So when I throw out a 90% probability that that's what I'm assigning, that's what I believe, but there's still meaning there's that 10% of the time, 10 out of 100 games that they play, that it doesn't happen. And I'm going to get whacked. I'm going to get absolutely smashed as far as losing points is concerned. And that's what's happened to me the past two weeks. I have been wrong a fair amount. The problem is the games that I have been wrong on have been the ones that I have basically maxed out on my probability scale. And it's just it's destroyed my my overall season as far as the, the points are concerned. The number's still pretty good. It's in that 65, 66% range. But when you lose so many points on some of the strongest convictions, that's when you end up going on a tailspin. That's where I'm at right now. All my gains have basically been washed away. So hopefully we can get back on track. And I've got some, some high probability games. And I need to be right on them if I want to try to claw my way back into sort of that top 15%. Because right now, I, I again, I've washed away everything. I've lost like 300 points the past two weeks. And it's not because I've lost 
a ton. Granted, I've probably gone 50-50 the past two weeks. It's been very difficult to come up with some of these some of these outcomes. But it's how heavily I've weighted some of the losses that has really just sunk me. So let's start it off Thursday night. New England Patriots at the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons are six-point home dogs. I have the Patriots winning 31-14. to That's a 90% probability. The Indianapolis Colts at the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are seven-point home favorites. I have Buffalo winning 32-19. to That's a 90% probability. Washington football team at the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are three-and-a-half-point home favorites. I have them winning 22-14 to over the Washington football team. That's a 73% probability. Baltimore Ravens at the Chicago Bears. The Bears are six-point home underdogs. I have the Ravens winning 25-14. to That's an 85% probability. Detroit Lions at the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are 10-point home favorites. I have them winning 24-13. That's an 83% probability. San Francisco 49ers at the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags are 6-point home dogs. I have the 49ers winning this game 19-16. That's a 60% probability. Green Bay Packers at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are 2.5-point home dogs. I have them losing. I have Green Bay going to Minnesota and winning 24-21. There's a 57% probability. Miami Dolphins at the New York Jets. The Jets are three-point home dogs. I have the Dolphins winning 20-14. There's a 57%, or excuse me, a 70% probability. Houston Texans at the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are 10-point home favorites. I have them winning 30-13 over the Texans. 90% probability. New Orleans Saints at the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are one-and-a-half-point home favorites. I have them losing. I have the Saints going in and winning 26-21. That is a 63% probability. Cincinnati Bengals at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are one-point home dogs. I have the Bengals winning 22-20. to That's a 56% probability. The Dallas Cowboys at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs at home, minus 2.5. This would be a game that I would be betting just flat out. I'd be betting money line. Uh, I have Dallas winning 31-23 to in Kansas City. I think a lot of people, all of a sudden, based on last night's victory, and I'm saying last night, I'm recording this on Monday, because Kansas City went in there and put the boots to Vegas. Keep in mind, that game was nip and tuck until that whole Deshaun Jackson issue in the third quarter. Uh, I, I think that's going a little aggressive. We've seen this Chiefs team. They're not very good. I think Dallas is very good. I have Dallas winning 31-23. to That is a 74% probability. The Arizona Cardinals, and I'm assuming we don't have Murray or Hopkins, knowing that we're going into a bye week. I believe their next game is a bye, or their next week is a bye. Arizona going into Seattle. Seattle is a three-point home dog. I still have Arizona winning 27-22. to That's a 67% probability. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers are four-and-a-half-point home favorites. I have them winning 20-17 to over Pittsburgh. That's a 59% probability. And then Monday night, the New York Giants at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs are 10.5-point home favorites. I have them winning 31-19 to at home over the Giants. It's an 86% probability. There you have it. NFL Week 11 forecasts over on 538.com. If you have any thoughts on those games, if you have any thoughts on modeling in general, if you have any thoughts on the Fantasy Breeders' Cup Classic or anything else that you may want me to touch on for next week's show, leave your comment beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. However you take this thing in, it means a great deal to myself and everybody over at In The Money Media. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're on YouTube, make sure that bell icon's lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. Uh, And again, as far as sort of podcast subscriptions are concerned, leave us a review. 
It's one of those things that it may not seem like it's a big deal, and it can be four words. I hate this show, or I love this show. But point being, any review helps us. It just does. Without getting into all the details, you understand, I'm sure you're all smart people. You can figure out why. Please, five stars, one star, whatever it may be, just ratings, reviews, the whole nine. Please leave those if you listen on a podcast app or, again, if you're over on YouTube, just make sure you subscribe and give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down, whatever your prerogative. Uh, until next week, best of luck however you play, wherever you play, and whatever you play. Oh, did I screw that up? Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. Hey, boy, hey, tell me. It's been a long day. Um, good luck. That's the easiest way to go about saying it. This has been episode 91 of the Matt Bernier Show. We will talk to you again next week.